You've had a long career, Dabs. Could you catch a Twitter for me? <laughs> I know. Welcome to Space to Grow, the podcast where we explore how the spaces we inhabit shape us as individuals. I am your host, Natasha Rocca Devine, an interior designer and author with a passion for helping clients create functional, beautiful spaces which will support their personal growth and well being. In each episode of my series, I will be speaking with a guest who has a unique perspective on how the spaces they have lived in have impacted their lives. From childhood homes to offices, apartments to gardens, we'll be deep diving into ways in which spaces around us shape who we are and who we become. Today, I am very excited to have my dad, footballer and coach, John Devine, as the guest of my series. John Devine, aka Joker, began his career with Arsenal, moved to Norwich City, followed by Stoke City, then travelled to play in Norway, India, with East Bengal, before returning home in 1989 to play for Shamrock Rovers. He then coached at Shelburne and was head coach of Sporting Fingal. Dad was capped for the Republic of Ireland, winning 30 caps, also worked for 10 years at Manchester United's Academy, for the FAI in Ireland, in Silicon Valley, and for GPS Byron Munich for the West Coast of USA, and has returned home to Ireland for new opportunities and to see myself and Freya, of course. So let's dive in and discover the stories behind the spaces that have helped my dad grow into the person that he is today. Thank you for coming, Dad. It's a pleasure. It's really good to be here. (laughs) Tell us, what was your childhood home like? Well, the space I occupied uh, from about six to ten that I can remember most is Beresford Street. And uh, there would have been seven girls and five boys in that house. So it was pretty hectic. But it prepared you for everything in life. You know, you had had, uh, great stories, music, fights, (laughs) all sorts of... uh, people to play with you know you always had great company so it was a fantastic experience in a small space but you always longed to try and find somewhere to find for yourself you know a little bit of time and calm and I found that when I climbed out the bedroom window the back bedroom window (laughs) onto the flat roof of the kitchen I could be seen by nobody and it was a lovely place for me (laughs) to just actually gather my thoughts (laughs) from all the voices all the time but it was a fantastic upbringing and a great time in my life so the roof at that time, was I time progressed in. onto the bedroom, which I'll tell you about later. And so then speaking of space, you moved to Arsenal at 14 years of age, and then you had to move through different dig spaces. How did you settle into these? Well, as I said earlier, um, when, you, when you grow up in a house with so many people, your function, you have to be in a very disciplined, organized atmosphere. My mother was amazing. You know, she still worked and then she had to prepare everything for school and for people going to work. So you were in a very disciplined environment. And I found that even nine years of age, I was looking after six and five-year-olds. So it prepared you how to change nappies, feed bottles, iron your own clothes. So it really gave you an an insight into what life was all about. And then when I went to my digs in Alexander Park Road, Mrs. Bowett, the landlady, she brought me up to a room and there was two single beds in there and I looked around the room the space and there was a little uh, desk mesmerized uh, mesmerized a desk <laughs> looking out over a bay window and she said this will be your room and I said and how many more <laughs> <laughs> and she said no this is your room is for you. I You're couldn't like, believe it you've been so that little bedroom started me off in life to say this is my space and I never allowed any electronics in so I had a little radio which was great I used to listen to the top 20 or the top 40 in there on Saturdays after my training and my work and it was a fantastic feeling to have my own little place so the bedroom was very influential so although you had a new space did you miss home you know you come from you know crowded space and then into a really kind of empty room and then you're working for Arsenal speak about um you know that experience 
Yeah, a lot of guys suffered from loneliness and homesickness. And I, I felt that at times as well, because so used to having that big crowd around. Yeah, those have support system and your family around you all the time. Then to have nobody. And in those days, we didn't have mobile phones. So every Thursday, I would go out at seven o'clock and I'd ring my mother on the phone for about three minutes. You put in two fifty pence wow. coins and you just catch up and say, how are you doing? So that was your only contact. And you home. couldn't just fly home and jet home. So it was very tough initially, the first six months. So uh, the homesickness was tough, but you were over there to do a, a job and you wanted to do it. So you just got on with it. And uh, then luckily there was a guy in the in the digs, Frank Stapleton, who eventually years later became my best man at my wedding. So we became good friends. So luckily we had a good rapport together and we were both in the same position and we looked after each other. Yeah, because it's obviously important. It's like your family, you know, the players. Sure. So like when you first went over at 14, you know, people would be fascinated by this because football is very different now. But what did you do on a day to day? You know, when you first arrived, how oh, to get to the club, of, to, you know, to make the Arsenal team? How, yeah, what well, was that space like? The digs I was in that I mentioned earlier was in Alexander Park Road. It was Ali Pali where the BBC broadcasting station was. And the nearest underground tube was Wood Green. Yeah. And you'd have to get up at half six in the morning. I have your breakfast and then get your train into Highbury, which was the old stadium. And then we'd start making up the kit bundles for the first team and the reserves and the youth team. So you had four shirts that you had to try and take from somebody to get into the first team. <laughs> wow. But in the meantime, you had to prepare their stuff for cleaning and pick them up in the winter from the mud and get them ready wow. for the laundry. And then you'd go and do your training and then you do the same in the afternoon. And then you'd, clean, you'd bring all the equipment back to Highbury and you finish about six o'clock in the evening. So by the time you got home, you were really tired. It was really hard work. And a lot of people didn't last more than three months. But because of the background that I mentioned earlier, having to look after younger siblings, having to iron my own shorts, having to make my own food when needed, I was well capable of looking after Resilient, myself. Resilient, yeah. So it did help me prepare for life situations. And then I remember you told me a story, um, I hopefully I get this right, um, about I think you were in certain days and you know everyone was really struggling at training and then you asked the coach you said like you you asked him could you have more food or just have a better sit, setup and you were because of that you were the only person who made the team so it's just well, a really interesting story you know people don't understand to push forward yeah I found it so another difficulty most of us had when we went over there we'd only train once twice a week in Ireland you're training every day possibly twice mm. so you needed a bigger food intake yeah, absolutely. and I was only learning about that when I went over so I told the 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 coach, I, I said, your landlady came in and complained. So and she said, why? I said, because she's seen you down the chip shop two nights a week. <laughs> <Irish>. <laughs> After my dinner. So I went down to the chipper on Wednesday and Friday and gave myself a treat. Absolutely. <laughs> said, we, can't, we can't have you eating that stuff. So he got me onto a, a more regular diet and the landlady gave me more food. She was a lovely woman now. She was. No, I know, but I'm just saying it just shows that you had to, like football's really different now. There was nutrition and stuff involved. But because of that, you were the one of the only people that made the team from well, your the, group. Absolutely. The, the difference in my game within a month eating the right food and yeah. more of it and the drinks especially hydration I knew nothing about yeah. so the coach really helped me and the landlady and within a month I'd gone in from the U team into the reserve team amazing so it helped you know. obviously with your job you had to travel a lot um, and how did you find the space within new spaces and hotel rooms and everything did you, did you find that hard to adjust to it was very difficult because it would have been perfect had you had your own room because oh, the bedroom, as I mentioned earlier, was really space, part yeah. of my space. But you always roomed up with a teammate in case somebody was a bit nervous before games or something, try and calm you down. So you didn't really find any space Time whatsoever. Out, yeah. So 
when you left, say on Friday on your bus, because back then they didn't fly like the guys fly these days. Yeah. You had five and six hour coach journeys and you had all the people on the bus entertaining each other, but the noise levels was always there. Yeah, then you're in a hotel room with somebody that you know, you know them, but it's still a lack of privacy and you have your dinner and then you go to sleep and then you get up so and get ready for the game. It's so it's nonstop people, people. So when you got back to your house, it was your time like, mate. It was like really heaven. important like, to, so, yeah. to replenish. So I remember, um, I can't remember what age, but my sister Danielle and I, we were on the pitch. Well, I remember going with my aunt Phyllis, who was insistent of going through the dressing room to meet all the players. But I mean, we were playing on the pitch. We were in our little um, mini Ireland um, yeah. uniform um, and with Jack Charlton was there. So yeah. do you remember this? Was it the World Cup? And then how did you feel walking out onto the pitch for that incredible space? It was just oh. amazing. I mean, I remember it as a child, yeah, yeah. so I can only imagine what you felt. Well, I remember remember I brought you in early, very early before the game yeah. because we had to use the dressing room for all the players. But I remember distinctly, as clear as day, that bringing the two of you onto the field and then walking back in and talking to the manager and then Phyllis again, <laughs> got her nose into everywhere. <laughs> oh, she's <laughs> and a then, then you went off home and then I got down to my business. And then obviously walking out in Lansdowne Road for Ireland, that was yeah. the biggest thrill of my career, to be honest, you know, playing it's for like, Ireland. Yeah, amazing. I'd say it's breathtaking, you know. It was but it was great to have you and Danielle there. It was an amazing uh, moment for all of us. I remember thinking, I think my dad's kind of cool. <laughs> I was like, I don't think all the other parents do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was one moment. Um, so obviously I was part of that stadium moment, but do you have any other really um, memorable stadium moments in your career? Yes, uh, the FA Cup final back then would have been the equivalent of the Champions League final now. It was wow. the biggest thing. And even back then, there was 50, 60 million people watching it on TV. And no pressure. No, no stress. <laughs> and there was uh, 100,000 people in the stadium. And I was only in my 20s. Wow. I was only a young lad and I was pretty nervous. But there was a great old guy, Berto, who was about 60 at the time and he'd seen it all. And he came over to me and said, are you okay, kid? And I said, well, I'm pretty nervous. He said, have you got butterflies? Yeah. He said, well, look, all you've got to do is you've got to just teach them how to go in the same direction. That's he lovely. said, so control them. Yeah. So in other words, and then he said, you are here for a reason playing for Arsenal today because you're good enough and you were picked specifically to play in this game because you're good enough. So whenever any thoughts or doubts come into your mind, think about that, that everybody here you know, recognises that you have a talent and that's why you're here. So amazing. took the nerves away a little bit. Berto, great man. That's so lovely. And it, yeah, it's just, I think we can all get really caught up in, in you know, whatever job you have. It's just really nice to remember that, you you know, if you're picked, you're chosen for that job to embrace it. Absolutely. And you, that, that you did. Just a, kind, just a kind word. And it taught me yeah. something then as I went on to be a coach that I always had to have a few words with people for the right reasons. Bear yeah. taught me that. Oh, that's so lovely. Mm. Um, and speaking of um, your career change, um, unfortunately in Stoke, you broke your leg to the point of no repair, which really shaped your future. Tell us about this challenging space for you. Well, the funny thing was when I was about 19 at Arsenal, just before I got into the first team, my coach was Don Howe. He was the England coach at the time for the World Cup. And I asked him so many questions. He came to me when I said, Divine, he said, I've booked you in for your first coaching badge. He said, I'm sick and tired of you asking questions. <laughs> so go and find out the answers for yourself. So he put me on at 19, my first coaching badge. And the ex-England manager, Bobby Robson, was the mentor on that. Wow. So I was very lucky that he put me on there. A great guy who's worked with Mourinho and all these other guys. And I started then to go through the badges, the licenses. And by 24, I had my A license. So I was very young to have that badge. Yeah. And then, so when I broke my leg, luckily, 
I had a foundation for something else to do that I loved. And then I went on to get my pro license after that. And so that helped to adjust to a fairly normal way of life. Absolutely. But it is great that you have that backup. You were thinking forward thinking always. Well, Don, you know, Don had a big part in it. Yeah, but yeah, I was happy that I'd done it. Yeah, I can tell you that. So although you um, obviously made Arsenal very young and progressed into lots of different roles in sport, um, this must have been a really dark place when you, you know, you broke your leg in Stoke and people, regardless of their career, have all been in dark places. So how did you cope with that? Well, it was very, very difficult, I can tell you. At 27, you know, you've got the world at your feet. You're playing at Wembley, you're playing for Arsenal, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and it's just stopped instantly. Mm. You, go, you do go to a very dark place. It was very difficult. And only for the help of very good friends and family. Again, I always relate to my family. They got me through that period and some very good friends. In fact, when I had my operation in Brighton after I broke my leg, I had two operations in Brighton and then I was taken back to the Nuffield Hospital in Stoke-on-Trent where a good friend of mine, Terry Conroy, collected me in Brighton and drove me all the way back. And when I came out, he sat me on the couch in his house for three weeks in recovery because I wasn't allowed to move my leg at all because it was a compound fracture in seven places. So I wasn't allowed to move. And Terry and his family gave me breakfast on the couch, dinner, lunch. So good friends, family helped to get me through that. So I'd never disregard anybody. Look after your family. So very important to you. And Terry Connolly, good friends. Oh, that's so lovely. And it would definitely, as a coach, then you moved after that, obviously it would have, you know, impacted you as a coach going forward. And you have to connect with players really fast. Um, obviously when you're playing, but also as a coach, how do you create that safe space for those, you know, the players, especially you worked with a lot of youth. Well, funny, because I was involved in coaching from a young age, I got my badges and was qualified at a very young age. So you're going in with guys who are only maybe three or four years younger than you. Oh, really? Yeah, and the professionals. But what gains the respect and that unity between you is when you have a good knowledge of the game, which I had because I played it, and then I'd done all my badges and had been using those experiences, practicing with younger kids, 8 to 12-year-olds, 12 to 14, and then up to the pro professional people. They recognize that you have the ability to answer their questions. So it's really to give them your expertise and knowledge, and then you gain that respect mutually, and then things move on from there. And speaking of being a coach, you've obviously worked with um, Manchester United, Bayern Munich and lots of different clubs and the FAI in Ireland. How do you create space, you know, in these large coaching sessions? They're very intense. I've been there with you. I've seen you at work. It's really, really impressive what you do. do you, can you find a space in that or do you just go with it? It's still very, very difficult because there's a lot of people around. Although you have doctors, physiotherapists, mm. nutritionists nowadays. And I had them there at Man United. They had everything. But there was always a few rooms at Manchester in Carrington. There was a 70 million pound complex and there was always rooms where you could vacate for half an hour use for half an hour in between you have your lunch and you can take a coffee or a cup of tea and just time out just to regain your thoughts Um, so what have been your standout moments in your career Uh, walking on the pitch with you and Danielle and playing for Ireland in Lansdowne Road the Aviva now and playing at Wembley in the FA Cup final and many other cup finals for Arsenal so I've got great memories uh for that. So thankfully, um, you brought us one of the perks of your job um, to Arsenal Stadium, my sisters and I, and we, you brushed shoulders with um, David Beckham and Alex Ferguson um, with, with Manchester United playing against Arsenal. How does it feel being back in, I know it's the, a newer version of the, your stadium, but how does it feel like being back in the Arsenal setup? 
Oh, it was still a great atmosphere for me, great day for me. And the memory was amazing because of, again, having new girls with me. It was a very special day. But then to bump into old bosses like Alex Ferguson and David Beckham was sitting right in front of us, Gareth Southgate, the England manager. There was lots of old people that I played with, six or seven guys that I actually played with. So imagine that's 50 years later, Wow! you know, when we were all 14 and 15. And here we are sitting in the stadium together. So... It was fantastic memories, but then the atmosphere of the game. Just it was an amazing back, game as yeah, well. Yeah, it just brought back that memory of walking onto the field, what it was like that first few seconds. The butterflies. The butterflies <laughs> going the right direction. Hope, hopefully. <laughs> and then when the whistle blows, then you just get going and you're in a zone. So yeah, it was great to catch up with old friends and people I haven't seen for so many years and to introduce you guys to them, you know? Yeah, we didn't mind. It was great fun. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back again anytime you need me. Um, so could you share a specific moment or experience when a physical space profoundly impacted your life or changed the way you saw the world? Yes, when I lived in India. I, again, the bedroom was uppermost in this conversation. I found this bedroom in the back of the, the building where I was living away from the bustling crowds outside. There was 20 million people in Delhi at that time. And you were so, playing over there as well? Yeah, I coached and played yeah. Yeah, over there. I actually started as a, a coach. And because I was still fairly fit, I could play at a certain level. And uh, yeah, I ended up playing a few games. But I found a little respite from all the madness because you, you can't move without bumping into somebody in India. And I loved it now. I loved the, the place and the atmosphere. But when I got into the, the bedroom that they gave me, the walls were made of sandalwood. Right. So they had this beautiful, calming smell yeah. and they had incense burning. And I thought ever since then, to this day, I still use incense. So that bedroom situation again it's was where I found all my peace. I locked all the shutters, blocked the windows and then relaxed and I could smell sandalwood. And uh, again, I, obviously I play guitar, as you know, and I could relax in the room and just tinkle away on the guitar and get my incense going and write a few songs. <laughs> Actually, speaking of which, which not many people know, but you had your own record, Dad. Oh, yeah. And you can you do a little tune for us, but you're also, you're fantastic at music. You're brilliant on guitar, but you're such an entertainer. So tell us about how that came in, you know, well, came about. Go. It's an incredible story. Again, my mother was a blues singer, as oh, you know. She's amazing. She had an amazing Grand. voice. And she gave up a professional career as a singer to look after all those children. And I never, to this day, ever forget that they're my idols, my mother and father, because they gave up so much for us. But there was always music in the house, as I, I said. I remember there. that, yeah. Always parties, always hoolies. And uh, so the guitar was out all the time. So whenever I went abroad, have guitar, will travel, it went everywhere with me. Yeah. And it was my way of relaxing down after a lot of pressure with the games and stuff like that. So in the bedroom, Sandalwood, jamming. incense, and I get the guitar out. And, and I've seen you jam in pubs as well. So, you know, there's but no, back there's to no the record limits. very quickly, I was in a, a guitar school, a classical guitar school in Holloway Road. And there was a guy called Bill Shires when I was 14. And he said, why don't you pop in and get a few lessons then if you're keen, if you have a lot of time on your hands. So I did. And then a record company came and says, hey, if you like what you do, we wrote a song for you. So we I were, remember that. And everyone was like, you have to be a singer or a footballer. I'm like, oh, look at you. I was supposed to actually go on the Late Late Show with Gabe Bourne. Really? Uh, so yeah. Funny. And funny enough, at Arsenal, I hadn't read the contract. At the time, it said you cannot do skiing or you can't ride a motorbike or you have to get permission to be in a certain situation. And it was 
nothing to do with Arsenal. They're a great club, the best ever. But it was just one person didn't like the idea of me going on because he thought I'd be in pubs and bars yeah, and it's playing, against smoking the club. atmospheres. Yeah, I guess you. That's like fair that. enough. So that went by the wayside, unfortunately. Well, the record's brilliant. We'll, we'll, we'll use it on the, we can use it as a soundtrack for space to grow. Oh, no, thanks. <laughs> um, so you're in your, so you're back um, from America. Thankfully, you're back for Freya and I and all of our family. We're delighted to have you home. And you're in your own space. How has your life and travels shaped this space now? Like, what, do you, what have you created for yourself here? Well, again, I, you know, I love the sea and I love the sound mm. of the sea and rivers. And everywhere I've been, I've tried to always accommodate that that I can within an hour be at the ocean or something and I've just I'm down in Longford at the moment with my friends and I have a place down there and it's right on the Shannon 20 yards away so I only have to open the the window and I can hear the sound of the sea and uh, certainly the, the river should I say and again, my bedroom has no electronics in it whatsoever. Maybe a radio if I want to listen to something. That's why you never get back to me, Dad. No, Rieske's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, so Rieske's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and the Shannon place. River's 20 yards away. And when I get into my house, I have my outside room, living room for party or whatever you want to do out there. But when I go to the bedroom, it's, it's just... your time, mate. So having visited the stadium and brushing um, shoulders with David Beckham and having conversations and things, how do you feel that football and their career is different from when you played to now for players nowadays? Oh, it was vastly different. I mean, we were apprentices and you were expected to clean the shower rooms, the toilets, clean the boots of the professionals, gather up all their clothes and their bits and pieces. There's none of that now. The apprentices have three or four sponsors now, even at 15 and 17 years of age. They're driving away in brand new BMWs. And good luck to them, you know, it's great. They're earning a fortune. So the majority of players now, if they turn professional and get a three-year contract, they're made for life. And they have many houses and holiday homes brought in Italy and Spain and America and Florida. And, you know, mansions with lots of cars. And as I say, I don't begrudge them. Good luck to them. But, but it's, it's so totally different. different. Yeah, people don't know that. Oh, know. well, it's completely different. And the wages are phenomenal now compared to what they were back then. And also, like you said, forward planning, they have a, um, kind of careers for after their football. You know, they have a lot of different things which you didn't have in your time. Exactly. Well, look, you didn't have a, a managing management team. You didn't have a, an agent who looked after your contracts for you. You had to do it all yourself. Yeah, it's so, so now different. they have agents that guide them in certain directions about properties and and as you say property would be one of the biggest things they invest in so they have many many uh, houses and properties around the place you know so just very different totally different, totally yes. different world so for all my guests I ask five questions at the end I hope you don't mind they're just going to be um, some fun questions so we'll start off with number one what is your favourite space? The bedroom, yeah. yeah. As I explained throughout the interview, uh, it's your yeah, time I, I, that's my go-to place when I'm at home. If I, you know, the TV's in the lounge, there's people in the kitchen. I just go to the bedroom and have time time out. Number two, what's your favourite space to travel to? India, by far. I, I could have lived in India, but I obviously had commitments with yourselves and, and other things. Uh, yeah, I intend to travel back there to have a look at it again. But India was fascinating, you know, all the culture, the colours, the smells, the people, the different groups of people, fantastic. Number three, what is the most challenging space you've been in? I think in the professional game, you know, everyday work, it was just full of people, doctors, physios. So you didn't get time out at all. You were So totally much pressure fu- as well. Uh, stress and pressure, yeah, but you have to get used to it, you know. 
Number four, what is your most inspirational space? Well, I think again, India, when I, when I look back on that, I bring it everywhere with me, as I said, mm. you know, I, I, I have a little uh, incense burner that's made of sandalwood. And oh. I'll, occasionally I'll just put it, not all the time, but I put it on and it just instant memories back to India. It just calms me completely down. Number five, what is your future space that you would love to live in? Oh, I'm back in Ireland for good now. I think because of COVID, when I lived in California and San Jose, COVID happened and the fires happened, the worst fires for a hundred years. So that was very claustrophobic. You know, you mm. look out and there's an orange sky and an inch of ash on your car. So uh, I couldn't stand much more of that. So after six months, I decided to come home, knowing that I couldn't go back into America with the visa situation. And uh, it's just, I wanted space and I wanted fresh air. So Ireland, with my family, with yourself and all the girls and Freya. Yeah, I think I've just about come full circle. where I yeah. come back home and by the Shannon or by the sea. And maybe coaching for Ireland, who knows? Who you knows, know, but I'm open, know. you know. Well, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you sharing your stories. And for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with John Devine, Dad, and the spaces that have shaped his life and inspired his growth. And if you want to keep up with the latest from Space to Grow, make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review to help more people discover the show. Finally, if you're looking for more inspiration and ideas on how to create spaces that support your growth and well-being, be sure to check out my website at www.theinteriorsnrd.com. There you'll find links to my social media and resources to help you transform your spaces and create the life you want. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Space to Grow. Lots of light, Natasha. Natasha.